This is not Gene Simmons of the rock group, KISS. And you're listening to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews by Aaron Martell. So that's what the R4 is all about. Okay. Hello, everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Mike Cordes. And welcome to Albumatics, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. This episode, we are joined by returning guest co-pilot Louis Figaro. Louis, welcome back to Albumatics. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Thanks. Absolutely. So on this episode, we keep Solovember rolling along as we discuss Paul Stanley's 1978 solo album. Lewis, we've done a Kiss episode before. Where do you come in on Paul's solo album? Um, I came across this when I was 11, uh, when it came out. It was at the Bradleys in Rahway, New Jersey. Bradleys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were released. They had a this wall-sized display of all four of them. And there was, you know, a couple of hundred records, you know, put out on display. Uh, and there were all four of them, but I only had money for one. Uh, I do money for, you know, I do stuff around the house for a dollar or two for my mother or whatever. And I mean, what were albums in 79? They were like six, seven, eight bucks. Yeah. I bought aces first and, um, then I ate shit until Christmas when I got the other three. Nice. And that's where I come. Yeah. That's where I come, come in on this album is Christmas morning. Listening to it. Very good. Rock and Mike, how about you? So the with this, the, I have a cool story about how I got the four solo albums. I, I had already known about them, and vinyl was on its way down. But there is this record store that I have been going into since I was probably about ten years old. It's called Platterpus Records. Dave, same guy, owns it. He has this attack cat named Spike that'll jump at you when you go in. But when I went in, I went in with my dad, and he had all four solo albums on picture disc. And Gene and Peters were still sealed from 1978. And we're talking like 1989, wow. 1990 maybe when I, when I saw him. And so for Christmas, my dad goes in and he they were 20 bucks a piece or 20 bucks for Gene, 20 bucks for Peter because they were still sealed, 18 for Ace and Paul. He goes back in and to buy me the full set for Christmas and somebody bought only Ace. So – I get the three at Christmas time, loved them, was very happy. And then about 10 years later, I go into his store and I walk in and he goes, I've been waiting for you. Are you still looking for this? And that's how I got aces. He actually remembered that I had the three. He remembered that I was missing ace. And that's how I got my complete set of Kiss solo albums. Wow. Nice. So I got to be honest here. In the 70s, when Kiss was like the be-all, end-all for me, Paul Stanley was my least favorite member of the band by a country mile. And it had nothing to do with him musically. I just didn't like his character. You know, his persona was the least interesting to me. I mean, Star Child? What the fuck is that? And I had no interest in his feminine lover man stage moves and the way he would pout in his pictures. I mean, at the time, I thought it was sissy stuff. You know, the girls can have this guy. Yep. So I had little interest in getting his solo album, and I didn't bother with it for a couple of years, actually, after they'd come out. So then in 1982, I believe, I was 12 years old, and I happened to see Paul's album in a friend of mine's record collection, and I asked him if I could borrow it. It's the only one I hadn't heard. I figured, what the hell, I'll give it a spin. I already owned the other three. 
And at least I can say I heard it because I really had no interest in it. So I took it home and played it. And to make a long story short, within two weeks, I own this record. And that's kind of a spoiler alert for this episode. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record. And yep, 170 plus episodes in and I'm still using Wikipedia. (laughs) Paul Stanley is a debut solo album from American rock musician Paul Stanley, released on September 18th, 1978 on Casablanca Records. It was produced by Paul Stanley and Jeff Glixman and was recorded from February to July 1978 at Electric Lady Studios, New York City, New York, The Record Plant, Los Angeles, California, and The Village Recorder Studios, Los Angeles, California. It reached number 40 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified platinum by the RIAA. And here is the musician's lineup card. We have... Paul Stanley on lead and backing vocals, rhythm guitar, lead guitar, acoustic guitar, and Ebo. Bob Kulik on lead guitar and acoustic guitar. Steve Buslow on bass guitar. Eric Nelson on bass guitar. Richie Fontana on drums. Carmine Apice on drums. Craig Krampf on drums. Diana Graselli, Miriam Naomi Vale. Maria Vidal and Pepe Castro on backing vocals, Doug Caseros on piano and backing vocals, and Steve Lacey on electric guitar. And before we get into the review, I'd like to credit an invaluable source for my research. I didn't just use Wikipedia for this. The book is called Gene, Ace, Peter, and Paul, written by author Julian Gill, a guy who runs the KISS FAQ website and hosts the KISS FAQ podcast. It takes a detailed look at the solo albums and is a highly recommended read for anyone who has an interest in the solo album era of KISS. So a big thank you to Julian Gill. Okay, let's jump into a track-by-track analysis of this album. The first track is Tonight You Belong to Me, written by Paul Stanley. What do you think? Um, well, sounding like the world's perfect boyfriend, he serenades her. Um, a long time ago, they fell in love, but they got sick of each other. They hook up again, but now she's going to leave. But Uncle Paulie's going to take the skin boat to Tuna Town, just one more town. <laughs> it's got that slow, glossy intro. The a la, I want you. The shimmery cymbals, the harpsichord-like finger-picked acoustic guitars, Reverb so wet it fogs the mirrors. Um, the melodic gene like bass line, uh, he sets the scene, tells the story of young love that's run its course. And click the distortion pedal and roll up the guitar volume. Here come the drums. This song kicks into high gear and sets off this album. It's a great opener. He really sets the tone for the record with this one. Bob Kulik's solo is perfect, don't you think? Yes. Just love it. Great intro to what's what's to come. Rock and Mike. So I think, Aaron, I think you and I are kind of in the same Paul boat as far as that persona that he has. Because with the what I with that acoustic intro and Paul's falsetto, my first reaction is nope, no, no, <laughs> no. 
<laughs> and then the riff comes in and it pulls me back. So I was like, all right, now we're back on track. I would now I was more familiar with Dynasty before the solo albums. And I know Dynasty came out after that, but I hear a lot of sure no something in this. And I freaking love the shit out of that song. So it can't be that bad. What jumps out right away, though, is Bob Kulik. Um, Bob Kulik, he just he's a more just a more technical player than Ace. It's you know, and you, you just you can hear that in the melody. Although the trade-off is that I think Ace would have played the riff a little bit dirtier. Yeah. You would have gotten one of his stock solos. And I'm kind of 50-50. I would like to hear it with that with a dirtier riff. I might trade the solo for that. I'm not quite sure. But either way, it's a great start to the record. Yeah, so like you were saying, Lewis, Paul had done this kind of thing in Kiss before, that pretty acoustic intro turning into Balls Out Rocker and songs like Black Diamond and I Want You. And he pulls it off yet again here, that acoustic intro, arpeggios, and Paul partly utilizing his falsetto to set the stage for the heavy, mid-tempo, cool-as-fuck riff that kicks off the electric part of the song. So this album's first side was cut at New York's Electric Lady Studios, and the rhythm section consisted of Steve Buslow on bass and Richie Fontana on drums. And of course, the real workhorse of the record, we've already, you know, we're already touched on that, is guitarist Bob Kulik, a guy who nearly won the audition to join Kiss in 73, but he was just beaten out by Ace Fraley. And in the following years, he'd carve himself out a solid, if unspectacular, music career doing session work for just about everybody and playing gigs in second tier bands. I mean, interestingly, in 1984, when Kiss was looking for a guitarist to fill in on the road for a sidelined Mark St. John, the Animalized Tour, Bob recommended his brother Bruce to fill the slot, and Bruce Kulik ended up joining Kiss for 12 years, rounding out the non-makeup era lineup of the band. Bob does a great job on the leads on this track. He's not being flashy, but he's tasteful as fuck. And the rhythm section is supportive while being allowed some freedom to play around. Buslow's bass lines in particular stand out as melodic counterpoint, like kind of Gene Simmons-like, like you said, Lewis. There are multiple Ebo lines that are overdubbed on this track that act as atmospheric background. They almost sound like a keyboard, but they're haunting and they sound really cool. But the star of the show is Mr. Paul Stanley. His rhythm guitar playing is always rock solid, somewhat underrated, I think. And his vocals are just fucking choice. He was really starting to come into his own by the late 70s, and he was one of the finest hard rock singers in the business by this point. The lyrics are about a guy who knows his woman's going to be leaving him, and he's torn up about it, but he's got this one last night with her, and he's going to make the most of it. She's his tonight. What an awesome opening track. It sets the tone for this album, like we've been saying, and it gets things off to a bombastic, dare I say, epic start. Love the big finish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The next track is Move On, written by Paul Stanley and Michael Jap. Lewis, how about this one? Well, little Paulie's mama is giving her little boy advice <laughs> to play the field, not to get tied down to one woman. She warns him how they'll try to tie him down, not give in to their shenanigans, and lay as much pipe as he possibly can. <laughs> Another rocker. The pumping bass line, simple in-the-pocket drums. Again, it's a good kiss song. 
he really kind of pitched it up the middle with this one. I love the R and B style of the backup singers that mm. kind of gives it a little dimension. The bridge has a partridge family kind of feel to it to me. <laughs> I mean, that's not really necessarily a bad thing, but it quickly slides back into the kiss with a soul vibe thing. I love the Bob Kulik outro solo. He really, he's, he's got that galloping, you know, three note thing down. I really see why they kept his number after they chose Ace over him, though. Um, another good tune. Mike. I like this one a lot. I think Paul might have misinterpreted his mom and she was just trying to get him to be a plumber. I don't <laughs> think she was telling him to lay pipe. But the, I love <laughs> I love Paul's vocals on this, that quick delivery when, in the verses. And I love how the whole thing stops. and He's like, move on. And I, I just I. It's cool as hell. I even like how that first solo is sandwiched between the two slower acoustic breakdowns. I do like that second solo better, though, it, the one that it ends on. Um, the first solo, it lacks a little bit of feel for me, and I think that's why I'm gravitating towards the second one. And while the backing vocals are cool, I actually could do without those. But it is one of my favorite songs on the album. I like it a lot. Mm, yeah! Paul wrote this with Michael Jap, a Welsh musician who was both a solo artist and a songwriter who worked with the Babies, Michael DeBar, and Steve Jones. This is a short, punchy rocker. It sounds very much like early Kiss, like you said, Lou, which of course stands to reason. I mean, come on. It's got tight, hard-rocking riffs, another nice solo from Bob Kulik, and the Ebo again makes an appearance flying over the top of the musical bedding. There are backing vocals provided by Diana Graselli, Miriam Naomi Vale, and Maria Vidal of the pop group Desmond Child and Rouge. They're the Rouge part of it. They do provide some sweet ooze in the musically paused bridge sections, and they really get into it towards the end of the song. They sound great. I like it. The lyrics find Paul following his mom's advice, telling him not to settle down with one woman. He needs to get out there and play the field. I'm just repeating everything Lou said. It's sort of an updated version of Smokey Robinson and the Miracles Shop Around. Paul throws in his vocal Paulisms all over this, and I like it when he says, play that guitar. <laughs> Kulik goes off as the track winds down and goes into a start and stop section, and this song is a great follow-up track, man. It hits you and gets out. So I, I got to tell you guys, I saw Kiss on the reunion tour in 96, and um, Aaron can attest to this. Usually when bands play in Massachusetts, they play like Boston, Worcester, and Springfield if it's a really big tour. And so Paul had, you know, he's full persona. Everybody's excited. The makeup's back on. You got Ace, you've got Ace and Peter there. And he goes, you know, when we said we wanted to play Massachusetts, they said you already played Massachusetts. They said, they said you already played Boston. You already played Worcester. We said, but we haven't seen our friends in Springfield. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I, I think you I know was, what? I think I was at that show. <laughs> that was at the little civic center, right? Yeah. 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 With, uh, I saw that. I saw with that. Power man 5,000. Uh, yes. <laughs> I was at that show. I yeah. hated them dude. I thought they, I hated them. <laughs> oh my God. That's Rob Zombie's little brother. I know. Spider. Is that his name? <laughs> Spider one. Oh fuck. Yeah. Fuck But me. yeah. Oh my God. The thing is that it was like, I was so excited to see the original lineup. Like he could have come out and like did his whole thing. Like this is how you make tuna casserole. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't have cared one bit. My ex-wife and I went and she's like, they suck. And I was, I'm like, they spit blood and breathe fire. She's like, but they suck. I, they spit blood and they breathe <laughs> fire. 
and that's like, why she's your ex. Yeah, no that's shit. Why, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I said, if fucking Superman did a world tour, you'd go fucking see it, wouldn't you? <laughs> and that place was so small, you they couldn't the big lifts that li- put them out over the crowd. They couldn't do it. Yeah, they couldn't do it. Yeah, right. Yep. Right, and that was the, that was the second time I've seen. I, I saw Kiss there twice. Uh, I saw him on a Crazy Nights tour there. <laughs> Sorry, I had to tell that story. I it just I like doing Paul an imitation of Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. He definitely has the whole RuPaul thing down, though, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Absolutely. Before even RuPaul had it, because I think he's way older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that's who he got it from. I'm going to be Paul Stanley. Yeah. <laughs> so you, it's RuPaul Stanley? RuPaul Stanley. Stanley. <laughs> the following track is Ain't Quite Right, written by Paul Stanley and Michael Jap. No, whoa, I won't tell you that you're the only one for me. And I'd be a liar if I promised. your thoughts paul's love for r&b really shows through with this slower tune his vocals are on point with this one and that's what's great about these albums is hearing the different sides of each singer and the songs that they bring this song brings a new layer to paul's vocals and talent um he's really a very very talented vocal and like you said in in the last song or a couple songs ago that uh it definitely he, he definitely came into his own around now the lyrics, well, he's got to be honest with you. It's not you. It's him. He's really just not that into you. <laughs> you gave him good love, but it ain't quite right. He's dumping you. <laughs> no. Whoa! You know, <laughs> once again, Bob Kulet knocks it out of the park with this tasteful, emotional solo. Um, I think great white Cinderella would have done well with this song in the eighties. Actually, mm. it's really kind yeah. of ahead of its time. Another great song. And, you know, even in the set, like, you know, say this was a concert in the set, this would be perfect as the third song. It's it's perfectly placed in the album. Mike. I agree completely. The uh, it's just an R&B styled ballad. I love the hell out of this song. I like the seagull sounding lead work. Bob Kulik again shines on this one. It's like I love the repeating like three notes that open the song and then how they return to it throughout the song. Steve Buslow lays a subdued bass line that gets to bubble out once in a while. Paul almost whispers his vocals at times, but it works really well. And just another great song. I mean, Lewis, I agree. The sequencing is right so far. It's perfect. Yeah, this is a darker, moodier track that's built on that simple, cleaner sounding like you guys were saying, R&B guitar lick. Fontana's using a lighter touch on his drum kit, and Buslow again, he's allowed to explore the space. The bass gets to move around and provide melody in addition to rhythm. Kulik has these whiny lead guitar lines that work in context with the vibe of the song. I can't imitate it very well. And his solo once again hits the mark, pulling some pathos from the notes in service to the tune's mood. 
Mm-hmm. Paul sings this one delicately. He's not in full-throated rock star mode. He's trying to communicate the doubts he's having in the relationship he's in. There's nothing wrong about it per se. She gives him good love, but there's something missing. He's not 100% invested. He's thinking about leaving her. Like you said, he's just not into her. That's exactly what it is. It's great. <laughs> It's the third song in a row we get multi-tracked Ebo lines, and they're effective. Paul must have been enamored with the sound to use it so much on this record, and I sure dig it. And I dig this track. It's heavy and slow without being a full-on ballad, and at this point, the Star Child has completely hooked me. The next track is Wouldn't You Like to Know Me, written by Paul Stanley. hit us this is a blatant stab at the same rick springfield power pop that would infect unmasked Mm. um yes bridge really apes the bay city rollers yesterday's hero (laughs) um you know haven't i seen your face before (laughs) what you want the body to live next door right it's it's that that chanting fist pumping arena you know getting every you know, 12 year old girl, you know, to wet their pants and scream their ninnies off. Paul's playing hard to get. You're looking good, but you got to try harder if you want to bump uglies with them. <laughs> it's another song that could be on any kiss album. It might be, this might be my favorite song of this album. Actually. It's a, it's a good rock song and it's a good pop song that, um, it's it, it brilliantly written. It, it, it's got a good chorus. And like I said, you know, Rick Springfield, it sounds like something he would do. Mike. So I'm going to agree with Lewis again, because if it ain't quite right, is Paul's R&B tune. And this is his pop song. And I agree. This completely would fit on Unmasked. Uh, great melody to the song. It's got a classic Paul Stanley delivery. You've got those open chords that ring out under the verse. I love Richie Fontana's drums on this and how Paul uses them to punctuate the poppiness of the song. And what I find cool is how this is so poppy that Ace would have stuck out like a sore thumb on this track. But at the same time, the solo sounds almost like something Ace would do, which is, is, is pretty cool. I like how they're able to work it in and get it to work. This was a slow grower for me, though, to be honest. At first, way back when, when I got the record, I was like, yeah, uh, but I'm all in now. I, I love the hell out of this song, too. And I think as I get older and I can admit that I, that I like poppy stuff, I think back then I was trying to be too cool for it. But I sing with the Star Child now. Paul admitted that this song is an homage to the Cleveland-based pop rock group The Raspberries, a band that was popular in the early 70s and Paul frequently took his songwriting inspiration from. This is the last track featuring the New York band, and the main hard rock riff is very reminiscent of the Raspberries song Tonight, with this riff also serving as the chorus melody, and it's catchier than syphilis, man. It's very poppy. I also dig the pre-chorus. You come a-calling, but you're much too late. You got the key, but babe, I lock the gate. Wait a minute. If she has the key, who gives a fuck if Paul locks the gate? 
I don't know. Maybe Paul didn't think that one through. <laughs> the song has great riffs all over it and hooks aplenty, though Kulik's solo is short and serviceable. The emphasis is squarely on the riffs and vocals. This could easily pass for a kiss tune, especially in the, in the era that they were heading into. Yep. Paul is in confident, take-charge mode. He's telling the girl, you're stepping over your bounds. You keep pushing me, and you ain't getting none of this. And I mean shit. You blow an opportunity to bang the star child, you're going to regret that, because wouldn't you like to take him and make him? I love this track. The hooks sink in while it still rocks hard. This one is a standout for me. The following track is Take Me Away, Together as One, written by Paul Stanley and Michael Jap. Lewis, what do you say? That's got another finger-picked acoustic intro, falsetto singing, and then the band slamming it home into a rocker. Yep, it's Paul Stanley. <laughs> uh, this time the slow parts are slower, and the rocking parts are rockin'er. Um, <laughs> Carmine a piece. Um, there's a definite difference in the drummers uh, between this this side and the last side. Uh, there's a slow, repetitive buildup of rhythm layers with Carmine beating his brains out behind them, but it kind of it kind of goes nowhere. You know, it never really climaxes. I can almost hear Paul rip his shirt off in the second verse. Um, <laughs> he, he's he's got the fans full blowing on his face, and and yeah, he rips his shirt off. He's standing <laughs> on top of the mountain, and he's fighting crime, man. Um, <laughs> He's daydreaming about the time he batter dipped his corn dog in the girl with, with the girl in white. What else is new? This track is cool on the surface, but once you dig in, I kind of find it repetitive, derivative, and boring. He's got a tip of the hat to the Supremes, though, which is kind of cool. He sings Set Me Free, and then you hear the um the ding ding as a kind of a, a tip of the hat to keep me hanging on. So that was a kind of nice touch. That's about it. Rocket Mike. <laughs> such a pretty opening to such a disappointing song. The, uh, I, right. So, right. <laughs> like, what the fuck? It kind of goes just nowhere, right? <laughs> right. And that line, we made love. I was like, fuck, really? <laughs> yeah. That's the part of the, the Star Child persona where I'm like, all right. Um, you get Carmine a piece to play on this. Of all songs, this is the song you choose. <laughs> He actually sounds kind of bored under Paul's pleading. Um, I do like the solo, however, and I feel that it is here that we hear the real Bob Kulik on this track. But uh, in my notes, I drew a light and I wrote, whoop, whoop, filler alert. (laughs) (laughs) So this was the last track co-written with Michael Jap. This was recorded in Los Angeles with Steve Bustle still on melodic bass, but on drums, like we were saying, it's Carmine Apice, a guy who played with Vanilla Fudge, Cactus, King Cobra, Rod Stewart, a host of others. He was a well-known seasoned musician, and boy, you can tell it's him on the drums. Lewis said that. He provides numerous busy fills, especially on the lengthy outro, and I read that Paul thought he overplayed on this track and edited his part to shape it into something he felt was usable. I guess he was all over the place. 
on the original recording. This song is grand and sweeping, and it's a nice bookend to the first side of the album with Tonight You Belong To Me, two kind of epic tracks. This one also starts acoustically and gradually builds up to a heavy rock thumper, you know, like Stairway to Heaven. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's actually really well done, though. Paul sings from a soft, almost whisper in the intro to really belting out the final chorus as the song crescendos. He gives a tremendous vocal performance, aided by, oh, backing vocals in the final chorus from Pepe Castro, a playwright and songwriter who's worked with countless artists and also sang back up on Ain't Quite Right. Bob Kulik steps it up on this too. His guitar licks complement the moody music and provide much of the dramatic tension. I love this one too. Paul Stanley reaches for something more musically sophisticated than his typical kiss fair and he nails it. Fuck you guys. (laughs) So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on It's All Right, written by Paul Stanley. Lewis, what do you think? Paul's a pretty good catch, um, if he don't say so himself. <laughs> uh, nothing he won't try. He'll give you breakfast in bed. He's going to stay for the night. It's all right just to ask him. <laughs> I think Rick Springfield aped his entire sound of working class um, dog, working class heroes, the working class dog yeah. from this song. It, this would belong right on Unmasked as well, I think. It's it's probably just the era, and it's it's the way Paul was writing tunes by now. It's a happy, up-tempo song, and you know what? That's all right. It's a fun track. He feels at home with it. There's a cowbell. He sounds like he's really enjoying himself. So, you know, more power to you, Mr. Stanley. It's a cool song. Rockin' Mike. Uh, I'm I'm back on track with this one after the last one. It's for me. This is a bridge tune for me. It has that early kiss. Paul, gr- it sounds weird to say growl with Paul Stanley, but there's a certain growl. I get like a grittiness to his voice um, when he when he really gets going. Great vocal hooks and an '80s esque kiss riff almost. Um, it kind of reminds me of something off of Crazy Nights, but it much better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, holy cow! In, in my opinion, yeah, much better. But the just something about the tone of the of the riff itself kind of puts my mind there. And I really think this kind of foreshadows where Kiss as a band would go later on as Gene got kind of disinterested in, in the mid-80s when he was trying to act and stuff. And Paul had more of an influence on the Kiss sound. I love the chorus, the riff with the slight pause, another catchy pop song, and no solo, which is interesting. So, Or at least if there is one, I didn't remember it. So, But I, I, I really I like this song a lot too. So side two of the album consists of tracks recorded in Los Angeles with a different rhythm section. Now we've got Eric Nelson on bass and studio ace Craig Krampf on drums with Paul and the ever-present Bob Kulik on guitars. This is a standard Paul Stanley hard rocker, especially for the time, like you were saying, Lou. And it's a good one. The main riff is heavy, up-tempo, and grooving. And the song has the catchy vocal hooks, mannerisms, and chorus that are the hallmark of a good Paul tune. Lyrically, Paul is selling himself to the woman he wants to have a one-night stand with. He's telling her, I'm leaving in the morning, but if you want me to stay for the night and stay satisfied, it's all right. I'm okay with that. 
This sounds like a good Kiss song, which stands to reason since Paul's one of the lead singers and principal songwriters in the band. I mean, what else were you expecting? This is what I want from the star child, and he delivers. The next track is Hold Me, Touch Me, Think of Me When We're Apart, written by Paul Stanley. Do you like this one, Lewis? The fuck did I just listen to? <laughs> song makes me want to bully my little sister. <laughs> I don't care what the lyrics are. What the actual fuck. It's as if he snorted crushed up estrogen pills. That in the studio. Holy fuck. What the fuck was he thinking? Why wasn't there anyone around to talk him out of this? I want to forget this as soon as possible. This is lose obligatory skipper on every record. Loser. <laughs> yes. Ah. <laughs> Mike. So I wrote, hold me, touch me. This song is so shitty. Um, <laughs> This has got to be, this is my muff. This is Mike's unimpressed fluffy fuckery. (laughs) And this is not what I want from the star child. Unlike the last song, a gooey, sappy love ballad complete with tinkling acoustic guitars, big piano riffs, and heavenly omni string ensemble keyboard strings played by Doug Caceros, who also provides backing vocals. It's lushly produced and smooth as silk, and it's mostly hideous. The one saving grace is a very nice melodic guitar solo played by Paul himself. He really gets the feel for this mush. Paul sings the lyrics all precious-like, and the lyrics are of your typical, I'll miss you when I'm gone, but just think about us being together and we'll be okay when I return. The chorus is stickier than freshly sneezed snot, and I can't help but feel that the success of Beth must have chapped Paul's ass. He wants a hip ballad of his own. I mean, honestly, I feel it's kind of a well-written song, and in another artist's hands, it might work better for me. But man, Paul was killing it on this album, and this completely derails the train. You bet your ass this is Aaron Stinky Stinker. Incredibly, the fucking dolts at Casablanca released this as the record's only single. And of course, it tanked, reaching number 46 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. This was the fucking single off the record? Yes. The penultimate track is Love in Chains, written by Paul Stanley. How about this one, Lewis? 
Well, thank God he's come back to his senses <laughs> and brings back an un- up-tempo rock song. This sounds like the Kiss frontman we all know. He's got Bob Kulik cranked up to 11 on the intro of this rocker. It isn't the best song on the album, but it's welcome and not out of place. Um, again, it's, it, it is perfectly placed. Thank God that he doesn't go down that other road. And that's all I got with this one. He kind of redeems himself. Rock and Mike. Uh, I agree again with Lou. So we're back. Thank God. But uh, this one, all I can picture is that Paul flail that he does on stage where he's in front of the mic stand and then like his left arm comes off the neck of the guitar and he like steps back and the arms in the air. Like I just picture that whole flail thing he does <laughs> while he, this is playing. It starts with the mini solo into a like a, a cool little shuffle riff. And where wouldn't you like to know me grew on me? This one kind of did the opposite. I loved it right out of the gate. And the more I listened to it, the polish kind of came off and I was like, yeah, it's OK. The chorus is eh, and ultimately it's a little repetitive, but I think the sequencing helps because you're like, thank God he's doing this and not the shit I just heard before. Paul must have heard us bitching about the last song because fuck yeah, he gets back on track with this one. (laughs) This one feels a little dirtier. It's a banging rocker that's full of that Paul Stanley swagger. Yeah, flail, flail away, Paul. There's a start and stop herky-jerky pattern to the riff that's cool, and I dig the pauses in the chorus. Love in chains that drives it home i like that kulik adds some wailing fills as well as a wailing solo that soars above the rhythm track and adds tension it's effective paul sings confidently and the lyrics are about a woman who comes across as a standoffish ice queen but she's just guarded she's just not going to give her heart away thereby keeping her love in chains paul asks her though isn't it time to open herself up i'm assuming to him Paul does it again for a deep track that's never talked about in Kiss Circles. I really dig this. The polish is still on for me. (laughs) But you know what, Mike? Thinking about that, sequencing might have everything to do with this. If this was in another spot in the album, maybe I wouldn't dig it so much. I I know that you're a sequencing... I am. Yeah, that's your your thing. I'm a sequencing nerd. Yeah. But the... um yeah, I, I think for me it was just, oh my God, okay, we're back on track. And um, and I think that it's still a good tune. It's not bad. And lots of, th- to be honest, I never really gave any of the albums other than Aces like a, a you know, a farts chance in church. But the, <laughs> um, this, there's something about it. It just kind of, okay, well, I got it. I got, you know, I get the point. We can kind of get, lay off the gas here and finish this one up. This song actually acts like an alarm clock to the last one because everybody fell asleep during it. It's, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's really yeah. it's it's kind of a wake up for, for that one, I think. And I think he realized it as well. And that brings us to the final track. Goodbye. Written by Paul Stanley. Well, now I know. How about this last one, Lewis? It's a good album closer. It's got a memorable riff. Um, this is Paul in his element. Enough chord changes to keep it from getting boring. It's got that coming home descending riff. Mm-hmm. There's definitely an Aerosmith meets Bay City Rollers sound and structure to the song. More Bay City than Boston, if you ask me. Hmm. 
Um, the bridge has a vibe. I can't put my finger on. Is it Fleetwood Mac fog hat? Uh, Marshall Tucker that out on the road. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's something I, I, it's from somewhere and I can't put my finger on it, but it, it, it gets me singing. It's got me playing air guitar, nodding my head and making the rock and roll duck face mission accomplished. All in all, it's a great closer to more than competent solo album by my second favorite kiss member. Rock and Mike. I agree. It's a great way to end the album. Um, it's a, got a little bit of a, it's, it's teetering on filler for me, but I still like it because that riff is cool. I do like the riff a lot to the point where I wish that Bob Kulik didn't lay down some of that lead work over the top of the riff. But again, it's kind of, I, I, I repeat myself a lot on these episodes. It's like, get the fuck off the riff and let the riff do its job. The thing about it is they're trying to build tension to something which I like where they're going, but they kind of never make it up over that ridge, but it is still a good song and it's a great way to end the album. You know, I wonder how many songs titled goodbye there are out there. It seems like everybody's got one and Paul's is pretty damn good though. It's got a good descending riff and there's a hiccup in the baseline that catches the ear and it's cool as shit that, but I like that. I read that Paul had the idea for that part and he showed bassist Eric Nelson how to play it. And to Paul's credit, he let Nelson play it on the record when it probably would have been easier just to do it himself. Even Nelson said that. I dig the transitional riff in the verses that connect the drawn out chords and the chorus again knocks it out of the park. It's catchy and memorable. Kulik plays Tasty Fills in the verses and opens it up in a mini solo section with Paul imitating the guitar with his vocals. Lyrically, it's another I'm leaving you song, comparing the emotional weight of time passing to the everyday mundane existence of regular people. Ultimately, Paul reassures whoever he's talking to that goodbye's only for now. He's coming back. These are actually pretty good lyrics for a cock rock tune. The song rides the main riff as an outro and it fades away. Goodbye, Paul Stanley 78. We had a great time together. We must do it again sometime. Now that the track-by-track is completed, we'll get into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0-5 to system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is the equivalent to the IQ of the dunce who picked Hold Me, Touch Me as a single. (laughs) Lewis, what are your final thoughts on Paul Stanley 78? I could see how somebody could say that Paul's was the most Kiss-like. His voice and the riffs are the backbone of their classic albums. He's written their most famous songs. He mostly throws it into the strike zone with this, but he's got a curveball or two that never strays too far from the plate though. If I made a best of the solo mixtape, I'd put tonight. You belong to me. Ain't quite right. And it's all right on it. I'd give it a three and a half out of five. It's a good solid rock record, but it's not really something I go back to often, but it's, it's not too bad when I do Rock a mic. So I'm going to agree with Lou again. It's the same thing. I, I never really, honestly, I never gave this album much of a chance. Um, the one I go back to regularly is Aces, and I think I'm kind of in the majority um, on that one. But this is a really good record. Other than that one hiccup of Hold Me, Touch Me, it's a solid record, and I should spend more time with it. So I'll probably go back to it a few more times uh, just over the course of the next few years kind of put it to bed and and kind of reassess where i stand on the solo records this is a solid three and a half for me and paul deserves some credit because i really do think a lot of that poppiness and some of the stuff that bob kulik was doing it really is foreshadows that 80s kiss for me and you know so that was that's where i came in with kiss so there's a nostalgia with it so i i like the record a lot 
Kiss was seemingly on top of the world by 1978. The band released its second live album, Alive 2, in late 1977, and put out their first compilation, Double Platinum, in April of 78. Both albums were certified platinum, and a 1977 Gallup poll named Kiss the most popular band in America. In addition, there was a virtual blitzkrieg of Kiss merchandise available, from lunchboxes and board games to trading cards and pinball machines, giving the band a sizable income source. When Kiss signed a five-album record deal with its label Casablanca in 1976, the contract called for a solo album by each of the band members, with each record counted as a half-album towards their deal. They were to be true solo albums. None of the band members would appear on another's record and would reflect their individual musical styles and tastes. The multi-million dollar marketing campaign was unprecedented, as all four solo albums were released on the same day, September 18th, under the Kiss umbrella, with similar album covers painted by artist Eraldo Caragatti that assigned the members a specific color, Paul's was purple, and included a poster and inserts specific to that particular member. Paul Stanley was the front man and one of the primary voices in Kiss, as well as one of the band's main songwriters, so it was to be expected that a solo album would sound a lot like a Kiss record. Half of the album was cut at Electric Lady Studios in New York, and the other half done in two Los Angeles studios with two different rhythm sections, along with the unifying sound of Paul and Bob Kulik on guitar. By all accounts, Paul was focused at the sessions and had a clear vision of what he wanted, while bringing in some great material to work with. His was the only one of the four solo albums to not have a cover tune on it. The songs did indeed reflect Paul's musical style and reinforced his strengths as a songwriter without straying too far from the sound of the Star Child's primary band. When they were released, all four solo albums were shipped and certified platinum, but the oversaturation of Kiss product began to wear on the public, and the solo albums did not sell anywhere near Casablanca's expectations. The label ended up with thousands of album returns, and record stores placed the solo albums in the cutout bins. For me, I was greatly surprised when I first heard this, though looking back now, I don't know why I thought that way. I was a dumbass. I guess my bias against the Star Child character poisoned my idea of what the record would sound like. Though sonically it does resemble a Kiss album in many aspects, it also allows Paul to stretch out a little bit with his songwriting as he delves into big, epic, and lush song productions. There's no doubt this has Paul's signature stamp all over it, and if it wasn't for Hold Me, Touch Me, I'd rank this almost as highly as I do Ace Frehley's solo album. I give Paul Stanley 78 a four and a half, and even if he provided fans with what was to be expected, the star child made sure he gave them some of his very best. I regularly go back to this. And from Albumatics, Robert Joel Kulik. Rest in peace. Now we'd like to thank Louis Figaro for returning to the podcast and talking turkey on Paul Stanley. Good times, man. Uh, always a pleasure, guys. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Let us know and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us. And we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. 
Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Albumatics, I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. See ya. Good night, Springfield! Right before all of this shit dropped, I was like, I'm a little too scared to go to this. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Yes. Oh, shit. All right. Got it. Got it. There you go. Hey, plug this headphones in. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) I usually run it through the mixer, but I'm just going straight straight through the uh, the regular output. Still works. I can still run it through my mixer. But, so I don't know what the, I don't know why it's not doing what it's, what it's supposed to, but I can hear you guys. So there we right, go. I will, I will, I will shut the camera off now that we're good. Yeah, no one needs to see you. Louis, <laughs> <laughs> how are you, my friend? I'm pretty good, man. How are you? All right, all right, not bad. Finally, Jesus, that was ridiculous. That's all right. I think we got the chipmunk section taken care of already. <laughs> <laughs>